James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 is what we're going to look at um, this morning. If you've been a believer for a while, you probably have gotten somewhere with Jesus, at least studying the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke and John, where you've struggled with something that he said. Like you struggled with something that he said that it ruffled your feathers, like it bothered you. I remember um, discipling a pretty new believer and we were studying the gospel of John together. And after we had studied about halfway through, he came in one morning and said something that was pretty shocking and pretty eye-opening. He said, man, if Jesus wasn't really God, he was really arrogant, right? Because of the way that he communicates and the boldness and the clarity that he speaks, it, it feels like, man, if I were around him and he wasn't really God, it would be really difficult. The things that he called me to, the things that he said, to be around him, right? Like he says things like, bless those who curse you. Have you how about this one? If you've never struggled with anything Jesus said, here you're about to. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be to my disciple. Anybody struggle? with that one? Uh, Take up your cross and and follow me. Anybody struggle with that one? The last will be first. The first will be last. Anybody struggle with that one? It's a pretty intense statement. And then it shouldn't surprise us that some of the more intense things that Jesus says actually are about the topic of money. He says to the, the rich young ruler, sell your possessions and give to the poor. He says to all of us, to disciples, he says, do not store up treasures for, your, for yourself on earth, but rather in heaven. He says to the religious elite and the disciples, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then throughout the scriptures, there's this um, constant beat of a drum of it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I remember hearing these statements of Jesus and these radical statements of Jesus. And even when I became a believer, I became a believer as a pre-teenager and was discipled really well in high school and then throughout college. I remember hearing these statements and going, yes, of course Jesus says that's because that is the most radical way that you can say that, right? And as I approached those kind of things that Jesus said, I didn't think about them other than it's just radical and it's just right. You're supposed to do it because Jesus said it, and it's that radical way of take up your cross or store up treasures in heavens, or the, the first will be last, the last will be first. It's those kind of things. And so when it came, comes to money, of course, Jesus is going to say the radical and right thing. And I didn't really give it much thought beyond that. But there is something beyond just it being the right thing or the radical thing when Jesus talks about money. That is actually something that is good for humanity. Like there is wisdom in what Jesus teaches us about money. Sometimes when we read what Jesus teaches about money, we say, well, I know it's right and it's radical, but I don't know if it's the smartest thing to do. But there actually is wisdom in what Jesus teaches us about money that is something that adds to our joy and it adds to our fulfillment of as human beings and how God has created us. And I want us to see that this morning. Like when, he's, when the word of God tells us it is better to give than receive, there's something in that, not just radical or right, but there's something in that that is good for us. And it should not surprise us that all the research shows that. Uh, one um, researcher, and there's a book called The Paradox of Generosity by Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson. And they said, people rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, 
But money and happiness are still related in a curious way. Happiness can be the result not of spending more on oneself, but listen to this, but rather of giving money away to others. And then they go on to say the data, and they are going to show that data in this book. The data examined here shows that this is not simply a nice idea, but a social scientific fact to, to give whether, rather than to receive. Along with this, a, a survey conducted by the Charities Aid Foundation in the UK they found that 77% of people who had given to charity in the past month reported feeling happier with their lives compared to the 67% who hadn't given to charity. A study in the Journal of BMC Public Health found that, the, that charitable giving and volunteering are associated with improved mental health outcomes. Neuroscience, uh, neuroscientific research has shown that acts of generosity can activate areas in our brain associated with pleasure and reward. And when we give, our brains release feel-good chemicals like dopamine and endorphins. Now, I'm not trying to make the case that we should give so that we would feel better about ourselves or that we would have higher um, strength or higher improvement in our mental health. But what I am trying to show us is that uh, research shows that the Bible is absolutely true. Not that we need uh, science to prove the Bible, but I absolutely love to show when it does, right? And what Jesus in the Bible shows about generosity is not just the right thing, or the radical thing, but there is wisdom in generosity that is for our joy and fulfillment. And so what James is going to do this morning, he's going to show us the outcome and the toxicity that we invite in our lives when we aren't generous. So if we know the benefits are are generous, are for our joy and fulfillment, here's the result of when we are not generous. And what we're going to see in James 5, it's going to feel like a, a snowball effect. It's going to show us then the downward spiral if we uh, choose to keep things to ourselves rather than use it to bless others, how it impacts our life. And this flows with the rest of James, right? James's whole theme of this book is how an authentic faith uh, leads to good works. In James chapter two, we, or James chapter one, we see it rather. Authentic faith helps us endure trials. Uh, chapter two, authentic faith causes us to show equality. Uh, chapter three, authentic faith shows up in how we speak to others. Chapter four, authentic faith shows up in our humility. In chapter five, James is gonna show us how authentic faith should also inform how we see and how we spend our money. And so that's what we're going to see in five this morning. If we have authentic faith, it should show up when we give in our generosity. And if we don't, it's going to show us the outcome. So this is going to be a, another sobering passage of scripture in James chapter five. So who wants to hear a sobering message in James chapter five about generosity? All right. Well, hey, that's good. Hey, Surprising. All right. James chapter five, verse one. He says, I'm going to read the whole section. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, 
The wages of your labors mowed your fields, which you've kept back fraud, and are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He says, you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter, and you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So I want to say right out of the gate, if you were worried if James was seeker sensitive or not worried about offending anyone, read James 5, 1 through 6, right? He speaks pretty boldly against the rich. And the rich in this context, he's speaking about wealthy landowners. And this was often a, a, a class of people that we see even throughout the Old Testament that, the Jew, that shows up in, in Jewish literature. In addition, there were some negative light even seen in the wider uh, Greco-Roman world with their greedy acquisition of land and their exploitation of those they forced to work on the land. And this caused a conflict among the Jew, Jewish community between the poor and in the rich. And in this context, and in many other contexts that follows, in fact, the wealthy become the oppressor and the poor become the oppressed. And the problem wasn't that they were wealthy. Rather, it was the abusive power they used with their wealth. It was the misuse of wealth that James felt the need to protest and speak out against. And it was causing a rift even among believers. Some wonder, is James talking to people outside the church or inside the church? I would actually argue both. I believe they're both people that James is talking about a cultural idea that's showing up uh, throughout uh, Jewish culture. But there's also believers in the church that have adopted this mindset that James wants them to cease. And you'll notice this. James is going to go through this passage. He's going to go to a warning and then he's going to go using um, how the, these warnings can be destructive when money is not seen properly. And so he begins with, come now, you rich. In the Greek language, that phrase actually is something like, wake up, you rich. And you might say, well, Ben, that is not me, right? He is not talking to me. He says, rich. And I want to tell you this morning, if you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 2% in the world. If you have a vehicle in your possession, you, rep you represent 4% of the world. 4% of the world has a car, right? And so I know that many of us, man, we're in the season, we go, okay, if you're in the season where you're making, you're a college student and you're like, or you're just right out of college or you're trying to figure out a job, you're like, I can barely pay my bills. I get that. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to that at all. But I am telling you that by global standards, us in America and how we see poverty is not the same. Like you are someone else's, believe it or not, someone else's Elon Musk. That someone, and I would argue millions upon millions of people in the world would be astounded by how we live our lives. That even if you sleep on a, on a cot in a one-bedroom apartment with nothing on the wall and no electronics, you are still rich by the world's standards. And again, I'm not trying to be insensitive to poverty in America, but if you've ever been to a, another country, it's, sometimes it's hard to imagine if you've never been. I've been to multiple third-world countries, and there is a significant difference between what is considered rich and poor in those places versus what we experience here. It doesn't mean that we don't experience poverty here. We absolutely do. We've got to be sensitive to those things. 
But James is wanting believers specifically to, to be aware of the reality of, of what we are. And he wants them to be aware of really their, how their love of money can become toxic. He even uses some Old Testament language about what it means to grieve with the judgment that is coming upon them. Notice in verse four, or verse one rather, he says, weep and and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And it might sound harsh, but there's actually an invitation for them to grieve over their own sin. If you remember last chapter in James chapter four, what did he say to the proud? He says, I want you to turn your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. He wants the prideful to be humbled. In other words, James doesn't want people who proclaim to be believers in Jesus to be callous toward their sins, specifically about their money. I don't want you to be callous toward the effects that your money could have on yourself or to others. He's inviting them to be emotionally aware of the consequences of their sin and how they may have abused money and abused others as a result of their money. And here's why this is so important, because what grief does when understood properly is grief shows value. Grief shows that you actually care about something. If you care about something and you loss of that thing, the, the healthy response, the God-given response is to grieve it. I had a pastor friend of mine, we were meeting and we were sharing about some of the unique joys of ministry and also the unique challenges of ministry. And he was telling me the hardest thing that he went through as a pastor was that his best friend in the church, um, that he and his wife built relationships with him and his wife and their kids and their kids, and they had a disagreement and a falling out. And that, that friend of his, his best friend had since left the church. And I said, man, how did, how did you handle that? And he goes, well, I prayed and then I slept like a baby. And I was like, man, I'm just going to challenge you to pay attention to what's happening in your heart. Because one of the things is, one, if this is true, maybe you don't understand friendship well, right? Two, maybe you don't have access to your emotions. Because if we lose something that matters to us, the God-given thing in our life is that we would grieve it, that we would feel genuine sorrow over that loss. And the grief, it corresponds with the loss. The sadness should correspond with the loss, right? It should take a while. It could take years for you to still be sad over that loss, right? Because grief says, I care. Grief says, I'm sad that that is gone. And sometimes we think, well, grief is a part of the fall. Maybe, but God also grieves. So grief can't can't be evil, right? And James is saying, I want you to look at this because if if your sin is, is bothering If it's hurting other people, there should be empathy that goes around with it. This is why it shouldn't just be like, well, you once you realize you hurt someone, it's not okay just to say, well, I'm sorry. No, it's sometimes it's, I'm sorry, and I want to hear more of how that impacted you. I want to show that sorrow through how I'm 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 showing up in this relationship. I want to express remorse over what I've done. Um, Don't we do that with our kids, boys? Why, Finn? It is not cool that you hit Gideon. I'm sorry, you know? Well, that's not okay, right? It should be like Gideon, tell him how you feel. Finn, do you feel, do you have the empathy toward Gideon that you hit Gideon? Is there sorrow around that? 
So if there's no grief, there's no real sorrow over what happened. I'm not talking about guilt. I'm not talking about shame here, but there should be genuine remorse. And James is looking at these greedy people who've lived their wealth for control and abuse over the marginalized. And he goes, do you feel anything about this? Because if you don't, there's a judgment that's coming that is a lot worse. And what James then tells him what this judgment will be, he says in verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire and you've laid up treasure in the last days. I hope you see the irony here in these verses because there's a reason why we want money and we want possessions because two things generally what happens with us, we want it one for security we think, well, money is going to give me security. It will help me live longer and have a better life, and I'll be secure. I'll be safe. The other one is significance. Well, people will see me this way, and I'll, I'll, I'll be recognized more, and I'll, be, I'll show up more, and people, I'll be in a certain class of people. I'll be accepted more. And we think those are the things, but according to James, those are the, actually the things that war against us. Do they not? He said, this thing is going to rot. This is moth-eaten. There's no guarantee that this is going to hold up for you. I just read an article just this past week um, 